behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. And it is episode 48. 48. Last episode was so great that we're here with the part two. We are so, so excited to have Bruce back in the show. We're not even going to do a really long intro. We are going to do one review of the day. Um, hold your horses, everyone. How are you, Liat? I am so excited to be back on this podcast because I could not deal with the amount of goosebumps that I was getting last episode. Um, and it just, the story is insane. And for him to come on and share it, it's amazing. We're so thankful, Bruce. Thank you so much. All right. Five-star review of the day is by Jay Thompson 77 Love, love, love it. I'm not typically a podcast fan, but this one is so real and interesting. It makes me excited for Mondays to hear the latest. So if it's Monday morning and you're tuning in, fasten your seatbelts if you're in your car, which you're probably not because no one's driving right now. Um, but this is going to be great. We're going to dive into more stuff with Bruce, Lis- Bruce Lisker. We're so excited. All right. So as you know, we're back with Bruce here. Um, last episode left me feeling really pissed off. <laughs> to say the least. Uh, to say the least and emotional in terms of even I had goosebumps. That's usually Casey's role to get like goosebumps if someone like says boo. Um, but this time I actually have them because this shit is so real. And I'm just so thankful we have the story here. So we kind of talked about the background information, the MO going in, those emotions going in. But now on this episode, we really want to focus on prison life itself and, you know, getting out and what life is like now. And so um, we could jump right into that with, okay, so now you're in prison. I mean, the entire time, I'm sure you're doing your reading up, figuring like, how can I get out of this? Did you become like very educated on the legal system? Yeah. So- well, my dad was a lawyer, and so I'd grown up, like, hearing a lot of, like, legal terms and stuff, and, and, like, as kids do, like, you know, pretending to be like daddy and, like, you know, trying to yeah. sound and thinking that I understood those legal terms. Turns out, you know, uh, I was in for a crash course. And so, like, yeah, you have to, if you want to fight your case, and I knew that, that I needed to um, once I was wrongly convicted, um, you need to educate yourself. You need to get up to speed on all this stuff and all the terminology and what it means and how, you know. And so, yeah, I, I self-educated. I mean, I was always, when I was out, I was, um, I think I was always pretty sharp. And I was, uh, you know, a poet and I like to experiment with words and their cadence and their, their rhyming and, and the flow and stuff. And Well, then you so- should have helped us more with, our episode 47 and 48 because we suck at rhyming. <laughs> no, I mean, I, well, I, <laughs> yeah, I did offer, I did send the, uh, the rhyme. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know any of those words. <laughs> that's where we, and that's where we got those highfalutin words like Slevin and. Yeah. Slevin. Well, you definitely, um, I can tell in the last episode, you said that when you got to San Quentin, you actually started a computer programming class. So like you could see that you were educated and wanted to continue educating yourself. Thanks. Yeah, there was. Yeah. So I got my GED and youth authority and then and then they test you for aptitude and stuff and they see what your GPA is. And my GPA was like topped out. And and so you're eligible to get into certain courses. And so, yeah, computer programming. My dad was always telling me, do they offer anything, you know, computer stuff every place I was at. And then, yeah, San Quentin did of all places. Right. And so I said, 
can you get me into that? And, and yeah, it was, um, it taught COBOL programming, um, which is a language that was used primarily on mainframes and like, you know, financial institutions would use it. And so mainframe standard, um, ANSI standard COBOL is what they taught. And I got into that and dug into that and I loved it. I mean, it's just not surprisingly, it's like with a computer, what you put in is what you get out. And so unlike with, you know, LAPD in March 10th, 1983, like what you put in is where, what you put in was not what you got out. Computers give you back what you put in exactly. And if you mess up, you get invalid results. If you mm -hmm. put in good stuff, you know, it comes out perfect. And I love that, obviously. Well, let's real quick talk about your legal counsel at the time, your representation. Oh, my, my trial? Yeah. Yeah. Just to back up real fast, but just like, were they good? <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. And, and yeah, that's where like my dad's trust and faith in the legal system and in lawyers in general um, was actually a disservice and my own as well, you know, because we were trained, you know, you trust your attorney. He says he's going to get to something. You put all your faith in your attorney. And he was either in over his head or unwilling to do what needed to be done to properly represent me. And he, like, for example, uh, we, we made a motion, or actually we were going to mention Mike Ryan, who was that friend that I met in the drug rehab, uh, because we had found out some significant stuff about him that he had gone to the house asking my mom for jobs that he could do for money the day before the murder. She sent him away empty-handed. That, um, you know, the, the police, we had figured out, like, people were coming to us, and we had, we had told Detective Monsu, you need to look at Mike Ryan. He was obsessed with knives. He, um, as it turns out, had uh, checked into a motel in Hollywood four hours after murder, but before he was told what time I arrived and the police were called and all that, he tried to say that he was checking in 12 miles away from our house at around the same time of the murder, which would have been an alibi. He said he was involved in a knife fight the day that, so the detective went out, interviewed him, and we had this transcript of the interview where he, before being told what time the crime was committed, tries to establish an alibi. That's knowledge of the crime. That, that could be used to connect you with the crime, right? Absolutely. Well, my attorney, had the transcript in his hand and the judge said i'm going to grant the prosecution's motion to bar any mention of mike ryan before the jury do you have anything that would you know argue in your client's favor that you should be able to mention it and he said no no i forget was it what his arguments were but they were not the most accusatory things they weren't the best things that sort of pointed up that mike ryan was involved and that's just one instance i mean totally dropped the ball and not you know another one one of the main things that proved that I am, was wrongly convicted was that bloody shoe prints in the house that the police said quite closely resembled my shoes, but that's not a match, um, were later found match to not my shoes. Like, I did not. I did not make those footprints, those bloody footprints inside the house. But they did match an impression on my mom's scalp. Um so that was years later, though. That was early Fuck. 2000. And that was actually analyzed for the first time by LAPD. They never analyzed it. They just let this monster testify they quite closely resembled my shoes and let it go at that. Well, my attorney had put in a motion way back when, in the 80s, 
to have that tested with a footwear impression expert. We could have, but he never followed through and found the expert and sent the stuff to them. We could have like cut to the chase early 1980s proved that I didn't contribute those bloody footprints to the house. That they were all these years lost. Yeah. And the prosecutor literally in closing arguments said, he's trying to claim that somebody else committed the crime. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence that somebody else did that? There is none. And there was right there, the bloody footprints, but he, you know, so that's, there's a number of things that could have been done that weren't done correctly. Well, I'm enraged again. <laughs> All well, right. Thanks a lot. I'm pissed off again. <laughs> Sorry, well, listeners. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Wow, this right. is crazy. Okay, so let's talk prison life now. Prison life. Um, also, it might make me less enraged because, like, I'm just interested and, in, like, prison's a whole nother world, right? Like, the world still runs in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, I used to say it's a twisted microcosm of our life out here. So we're like everything, everything almost, or a lot of things are like on their ear. They're like, you know, good is bad. Bad is good. Like if, if um, I'm left alone in a room with like a stapler and I'm a, I'm an inmate, I'm a prisoner. I'm supposed to steal that, that stapler and try to like, you know, I'm supposed to like, it's good to break the rules. It's, it's bad to sort of go along with things. Um, I've since come to like a little bit of a different, opinion about it and i really don't have to engage with that particular part anymore but it it's certainly is for me um, it's the depth of despair the depth of pain has brought about uh, invariably the the most rewarding gifts for me um because it pushes you deeper it makes you go for like deeper wisdom and you have to you have to find that grit that determination you have to to. so without adversity like i i wouldn't obviously i if i could go back in time i would i would save my mom's life other than that in terms of what i've been through like i wouldn't trade my life for somebody else's right now like who had a great you know thing i'm glad it's made me the person that i am to have survived that and gotten and gleaned the lessons that I did from that and the education, the wisdom that I did from all that I went through. So. Wow. I think, I think that it's, you see a lot. You see a lot when you're in there. And I'm sure your appreciation, which we'll get into like changing MOs um, after this, but so you went in as a kid, you were like any like silly little punk kid, right? experimenting with drugs like how many kids do that almost everyone <laughs> um right. and i mean you know, I, I would add actually just we'll get right like if i could just pause it just for a second sure for pause me it's so funny that like um because i was a pot smoker back then and now it's legal and right a lot, a lot was made of it like he's always a druggie he's a druggie kid he's such a druggie kid i am blown away by the potency of the pot that is in existence nowadays like like it's not the same thing like when i was a kid you could get yeah. together with your friends and like what are we doing tonight we're smoking weed and literally like you could just like smoke weed the whole evening and not become a psychotic mess like like it, you know <laughs> steeped in paranoia but nowadays that's not the case there's like really 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 powerful like really strong yeah yeah and so just to put that into i heard i heard from someone i heard from someone it's strong <laughs> right I do not endorse any type of drug. Yeah, yeah, 
We don't endorse any, and I live in Texas, so never. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. All right, so um, what was a daily life like for you? Like, yeah, what was your daily morning. life? Um, so, like, there, everything happens on a, on a schedule. It's like everything's mapped out. It's like Groundhog Day is what it is. Every day is almost exactly the one before it. And it's incredibly boring. Most people think like um, terror is stuck in trade, like constant fear. And it's not. It's boredom. It's boredom. It's boredom. It's like you're not really going to go anywhere in here. It's a thumb on your tail. You're prevented from overachieving. It's easy to be sort of above, you know, ahead of the curve in terms of achievement. And so complacency sets in and, and, and it, or it wants to anyway, you know, just, you know, relax and just sort of, you know, settle in for the long haul. But I was, I had a fire under my ass in terms of working on my case and educating myself and, and staying up. And there is a certain segment of the population that does do that. But, but by and large, it's really, really boring. Um, the day starts early. Usually you wake up at like five-ish. I did anyway, five, five thirty. Um, sometimes I'd wake up a little bit before that and I'd start working on my case. And then, you know, you go to chow, you come back, you go to work, you get out of work, there's the yard. The same people, you see the same like twelve hundred people every day. And they're probably doing close to the same thing that you saw them doing yesterday. They're all wearing the same uniform. Um, the sameness, sameness is blisteringly, you know, it's, it's challenging. Uh, so what replacement behaviors did you find in prison that things that you weren't doing outside? I mean, obviously like working on your case. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of references now. A lot of people are like, like what is it? There's like all these memes going around because of the, like, you know, COVID quarantine. They're like, <laughs> all right. Now is your chance for all those things you said you do if you had the time. You now have the time and you're still not in shape. So, like, what the fuck is your excuse? Right. So, like, like, did you get really in shape? Did you? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's part of your safety. So, like, um, so like some of the behaviors and some of the, the, the coping mechanisms that you learn are um, how to, you know, put up, how to put up a, a you know, a, Here's your facade. Here's what I, I'm, I'm buff. I'm on the weight pile all the time. You know, you get on the weight pile like six days a week. And when they used to have weights, when I first went in, you know, they had weights until like 1990, the 1990s. And they took the weights away and then it, it was push-ups and stuff. Um, but yeah, so you want to look strong. You want to look like not the, you know, the easiest target. You want to, um, if you say something, you want to go by it. You want your word to be good. Um, you want to be, if not friends with everybody around, you want to be at least good with them. You want to be cool, you know, mm -hmm. with, with um, the largest number of people as possible. Um, yeah, you know, as far as doing the things that here's the thing, too, like like you're not going to be able to like, you know, you know, go on those road trips and stuff. So there's a number of things that are like off the table, obviously. Um, but yeah, there's a number of things that are on it, like like working out. They got a track you can run. I was running there for a while. I was, I was doing miles a day. Um, where, where did you get your materials to 
work on your case. Yeah, like do they have a um, library so a or something? Of, yeah, there's a law library, but it's like it's like really, really understocked and intentionally so. I was gonna um, say. Yeah, it is. I worked in the law library. I was a clerk in the law library before I came home. And so I, you know, I wasn't law library clerk, I was a library clerk, but law library is the same room. And so I saw how things work and like, you know, the materials that were provided were, were um, inadequate. You're certainly hamstrung by the fact that you're in custody. The number of hours that you can get to the law library in a given day um, is, is seriously curtailed. And, you know, there's like a waiting line outside and there's more people waiting to get in than they, than they have room for you to sit inside. And so like, okay, you four get to come in and you guys wait. And then when somebody, you know, comes out, the other person can go... But that's not optimal. And that's like legit our grocery store life right now. Yeah. <laughs> you were living COVID for 26 years. Exactly. And they didn't have any masks, you know. So, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, what did I have? OK, so when I got to the places that I was actually do time, doing time with some permanence, I had my dad and um, my lawyer like send in all the materials, just everything. Like, like, what do you have? Like everything. I wanted everything. And, and you could keep was, it in your cell. You could keep it in your cell. Yeah. I wasn't technically allowed to because it exceeded six cubic feet. And that's the most, that's like your total amount of property that you own has to fit in six cubic feet in California. And, um, including but, your bed. No, no. The bed is something that they give you. And, but like everything else, six cubic feet. So like one foot by one foot by six feet. You know, or, or one foot by two feet by three feet. You do the math, but right, right. six cubic feet. Um, That's nothing. Right. You could quickly see if you imagine like file boxes stacked one another, which I had like six file boxes full of legal material, at, at, you know, alone. And they were bigger than one cubic foot each that I exceeded it pretty quickly. And but so without staff looking the other way, which they did because I was a pretty much a model inmate. Um, and I didn't cause them any problems, I couldn't have done the effective work on my case that I did. So the six cubic feet rule, like, like <laughs> yeah. screws you on working on your case if the rules are being followed to the letter. But what I did, I, I, you know, fortunately had a pass and I was able to look at every single statement, let's say Monsu made from the police report to his testimony at my Dennis H juvenile detention hearing to preliminary hearing to trial one to trial two on through the record and go, well, wait a minute, you know, he said this here and then he said that there, that's mutually exclusive and, and they can't, you know, one, it's either one or the other. And then he said something else over here and then he said it was different down here. So, and I would document all those discrepancies with references because nobody believes a convicted murderer sitting in a prison cell. And I wound up with a document that was like 60 pages long with like 700 plus footnotes in it. And I called it the Lisker case analysis and it pretty much nails down like under five broad categories, one of which was like blood evidence. And it was like the views from it through the window. And then it was the like all these like uh, what we call in behavior is permanent products, like things that you could see after the fact, which like you don't know if they're accurate or not always. Right. Like if you see like blood footprints or any of these evidence things left behind. Mm -hmm. So you're like and you're having to like just use what you have in there. Like you can't just get on Google and be like, like you oh, got to pick up a fucking book. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So you used, you really, 
it's kind of like what an astronomer does. Like when you're looking at like the night sky, let's say, and stars, and you're like, well, that looks like it has a little bit of redshift. So that means, and you wind up like having to extrapolate and really like dig in, get into the weeds and, and, and like dig into the science of things and learn and, and, and know that that can't coexist with that, or that means that this, and then, you know, you just, you need to do that by necessity. You need to. Do you think you'd pass out. the bar? Do you think you'd pass the bar? Like law school would be easy for you now? Cause no yeah. one has time to study like that. Yeah, no, I, at this point in my life, honestly, like there was a time maybe, but um, no, no, I, I don't think it, it's never easy. And that's a nod to every attorney out there who's passed it. It's really hard. Um, I mean, probably if I applied myself, do I really want to do that? No, I don't want to live in that world. I'm you done. like you need to get the fuck away from that. I would completely agree. I'm I'm done going. Yeah, I'm done going to court. It's incredibly stressful just to you know go in there. <laughs> yeah, um, only imagine. Even, even even for my civil suit against the city, um, you know, when like I'd already proved my innocence, they'd already overturned my conviction, and I was suing the city. It was, I was the plaintiff now. That was incredibly stressful still to go in there, even though I had their asses, you know, and they mm -hmm. knew it, you know, and, and, and they were wrong and I was right. But you must that. have felt powerful. You had to have felt like. I felt powerful. I felt powerful when they settled because yeah. that was an acknowledgement at the highest level of government mm -hmm. um, all the way, you know, all the way up that, yeah, everything that I was saying and everything I had alleged was actually true. And they they were capitulating. And of course, you know, legally speaking, they make no, you know, no such concession and da 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 da, da bullshit. Right. Absolutely. You don't sell, you don't pay unless you did something wrong. That's bottom line. Hundred percent. So when was a turning point in your prison time that you were serving that um your case kind of you started gaining the proof? Like what year was that in? Oh God, it was <laughs> It was such a deep, dark hole and such, such slippery walls to that, just to try to climb out of there. Um, but little tiny footholds, um, little tiny, pretty much incremental, small shifts until um, Paul Ingalls, the private investigator, came on my case and pretty quickly became convinced of my innocence and and was never going to give it up until i was home um that was a big sea change in my that's case. unreal but what, what i'm looking at here behaviorally is what we call motivating operations essentially the fire under someone's ass right mm -hmm. like no one's going to have a higher motivating operation than someone who's been deprived of all their freedoms yeah. everything they once knew um i mean we talk about in like behavior analysis, we talk about all these primary reinforcers, which are things which are also like uh, phylogenic in terms of um, oxygen, food, water, sleep, um, sex, activity. Like you're literally deprived of all these things, right? Like it's all controlled. Yeah. yeah. It's never like, oh, I'm just hungry. Let me go to the pantry and eat right. all this stuff, right? Right. I mean, you could, you could, yeah, you have, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but yeah, by and large, you're, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. And, 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 um, yeah. And Paul Ingalls came in and he was a cop for 10 years in Pomona. And so his, his motivating operation, um, was that he was a good cop. He was honest. He did the job right. And he was personally offended and took personal umbrage that 
then another sworn peace officer would not do the same. How dare they bring, you know, ignominy down on the on the profession as a whole. And so he once he got on and saw that this had been done and, and saw that an innocent man, a citizen um, who started off as a kid was, you know, in prison for something he didn't do and that a, a dirty cop was the reason for it. He was not going to give up until he made that that crooked path straight. And so um, there was that there was that sea change. There was also um, Casey, another major thing was when the footwear impression evidence was analyzed and it came back excluding me. I was not the contributor of bloody shoe print and obviously the one on my mother's head. And, and, and Paul said to me on the phone, I remember I, I get you, it was my turn. Um, he said, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you're coming home. And I mean, to hear that and to really, really grok that after what, uh, you know, 2003 minus 20 years of incarceration is where like every moment of every day just conditions you that like this is reality this is your reality this is reality and more of your reality here it is thousands of people you know you know a place you don't belong is is, is all you get and then suddenly 20 years fucking later you have a law enforcement you know professional um telling you you're definitely coming home. Did you have to Whenever. take a program to learn how to use this when you got out? Um, okay, so so being in the computer class and, and all through that, I really enjoyed tech. I mean, I love technology, and I never, like, stopped loving technology when I was in there. In fact, I started really loving it when I was in there. And I, I would take journals like PC Magazine, PC Computing. Um, I'd read about popular science. I mean, all this stuff. I, I'd read about... Scientific American. I'd read about the iPhone and 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 cellular telephone technology and da, 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 da. and 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 when I came home, I actually had from a newspaper like a big full half of a newspaper sized picture of an iPhone too, and I was like with all the little icons, and I was like, oh my god, you know, like, I wonder what that one does. Messages, what? How does that work? And I would try to imagine, but you can't. You can't. So when you don't have it, yeah, you can't. And so you actually get hands on with the tech. And you're, so like, I, you're like, yo, dude, it reads your face. It literally reads your face. You're like, what the fuck is that? You went in, there wasn't even Ask Jeeves. Like, you no, didn't so, have like an AIM screen name. You never had AOL. No, so what? Uh, no, so when I went in, when I went in, there was no internet. There was no internet. There were no, there were no, <laughs> we there would were, die today. <laughs> there were no, there were no cell phones. Very soon after, there were like bricks and things that went in your car, like big, but nothing like, you know, there was, I'd never used an ATM. I'd never had a credit card, right? All of these things, like they were all stuff that I read about. And so everything in the world was- But like I bet you had the Bitcoin. You had the Bitcoin, right? Yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you had the Bitcoin in, in, in prison? <laughs> That's why I'm a Bitcoin billionaire right now because I had Bitcoin. Yeah, totally. Even knew what conceptually Bitcoin might want I, I still don't get what it is though, so it doesn't matter. Um, it's any any currency in the world is just is the value thereof is just based upon people believing in it. That's all. So this brings me to my next favorite question that I've been dying to ask you. Prison ask life. I want to know. So life continues in there. People are creative as fuck, right? Like you have only you only have time. Like yeah. So 
What I've read, and a lot of things you could be like, shut the fuck up, Leah. You've watched a documentary, you're a dumb idiot. You don't really know what's real. So just tell me that and I, I could handle it. Um, but so what I've heard is that, let's say like a $5 bill in prison huh? has no value in there, right? And this is what we talk about with behavior as motivating operations how different things have values to you at different times in your life depending on background information so like um if a girl's on her period she suddenly cares about tampons if you have a cut you suddenly care about a band-aid if yeah. you right like whatever the fuck it is sorry i just saw it like tampons when i walked to the other room that's why that came up sorry about that just i make it real you know um <laughs> so it's what you need if you want to drink wine you need a wine opener that cmot but like you're not going to regular stores in prison so a five dollar bill like what was your form of currency or your token economy system in there like are you trading ramen noodles or twinkies yeah. or coffee yeah. or yeah. sex like what is it no whatever they sell at the store yes um radios all that type of stuff tv all that type of stuff yes those all have you know value in there um used to be packs of cigarettes but when they allowed tobacco in california prisons they haven't since 1996 i think um cash not so much because where are you going to spend it you're not allowed to possess cash and so you can't walk up to like the canteen the store the commissary on the yard and try to give them cash because you'll get the write-up you'll get in trouble so it has negative you know value um it's a liability and so yeah so just the basic things the very limited supply of things that you're allowed on the yard those are the things that have currency um you mentioned sex it's a whole there's a whole there's a lot of like misconceptions about prison and like the sex misconception is one of the biggest and you know fortunately so the places that i was at like you're not going to arrive and immediately like get raped or like get traded for a pack of cigarettes or like have to walk up to somebody and promise to be their bitch to keep. <laughs> right. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Um, if you're like looking to have sex in prison, sure. You're going to be able to find that. Um, in a minute. That's what I'm saying. Like motivating operation changing. You could be a straight guy. Right. And right. an unconditioned reinforcer, human reinforcer is sex. Like it's that's again, like, phylogeny right like people want sex so like i'm saying whereas on the streets i'm like if you're a straight man like a guy might not have value to you right but like right. did you see that happening with other individuals you don't tell me about yourself but there's you know why well, have no problem but um there's it's not exactly so i go into a project that goes into a women's prison and i've noticed that that sociologically in there it's it's quite different the topic of sex and how you know people either get together or don't and in the men's prisons there's this bar this machismo bar that um i don't want to be viewed like that i'm not going to like give it up to another man and, and this whole thing where this machismo comes in and and it's a whole different thing it's like virtually a hundred percent of women have either tried or currently like in relationship with with other women inside i mean it's it's in the high 90s wow. and it's way 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 less than that. i don't know what the number is what the percentage is i wouldn't even guess really um in the men's side but i know that it's it's not acceptable it's not like two guys can like 
you know, be sellies one day and they're both straight and they're not, you know, they're just sellies and then come out the next morning and say, now we're together and be accepted. It doesn't work that way. Like you'd be shunned and mm -hmm. treated as like less than in the men's prison as it currently exists. Um, being gay is looked at, um, looked down upon big time. It's, it's, um, it doesn't it put you at like a high risk, like high risk population? Like sometimes they have to like separate you. Yeah, they do. I mean, they really do because you're, you just don't have the respect. And by, you know, yeah, you just don't have the respect of, of the other inmates in the population by and large. I mean, individually you might, but as a societal sort of statement of operation, no, you can't, because if you come out in favor of that, then you become a target yourself. And so even if I don't have a problem with that, and I didn't have a problem with that whatsoever, because people are people and who yep. you choose to be with is who cares. Really up to you. Exactly. I, I couldn't go, Hey, prison yard, why don't we change this backwards way? We're thinking this whole <laughs> thing. Why don't we start looking? Because then that would make me a target. So nobody's sort of like, you know, it's uh yeah. So, so I have a quick question. Yeah. Is sex in prison legal? No. Hell no. You can't no. even jack off. That's crazy to me that they could take away your legal rights to have sex. They can't tell you that they that you can't jack off. They can't tell you that. It's a code something. It's a code something, according to my. If you if you get if you get caught by a staff member, then you're showing them. Then you're you're showing you're showing them, the them your genitalia, yeah. Exactly, and you're subject to a write-up and all that. Um, but like, they don't specifically have any regulations or rules or regulations, sort of outlining like you're forbidden to masturbate. You there are there are. Oh, you're right. That that is what it is because it's like let's say a female staff member goes by or something, yeah. and they see you doing it, they could write you up because it's like you're exposing yourself to them, right? Totally, totally, totally. Yes, yeah, and um, but. There are regulations saying that, that you are specifically excluded from laws making it legal for any two consenting adults to get together. You're excluded from that. You are excluded from that, yeah. Okay. It's like a and human, like basic human need. <laughs> like it is. So it's, it seems like a pretty fucking draconian thing to say you're not allowed to have sex with anybody else. Now, there are some. But maybe also yeah. for like health concerns, they're getting worried. Like, I well, talked to you about arguably, this. arguably, their defense of that is going to be, well, we have to ban it all because we can't have people. I mean, there are rapists in prison, and we're, you know, we we have an obligation to protect, you know, other inmates who are, you know, not raping from the people who are raping. And so, that I think is where they would come down on that one, mm -hmm. in defense of that sort of ban um, or exclusion, rather. Um, but I think that <laughs> when you balance out the the, the risks and rewards of, of that policy, I think that, you know, to dehumanize somebody and say you're not worthy of being able to have this basic human gratification, um, I think that yeah. does more damage than, than... Okay, so tell me, like, I need to know all, like, the inside secrets of prison, okay? So what did you trade? Like, what would you trade from the shop? Like, you were this, you had pretty well off or, like, financially stable parents i'm assuming they probably put money in your commissary like were you bullied for that like did people be like fuck no, you bro buy me a coffee no so like stakes of the stakes of sort of allowing somebody to, like anytime somebody tries to take something from you you have to even if they're huge and you know you're going to get your ass whipped you need to stand up to that 
Because if you don't, if you capitulate to that, then somebody goes, God, he, he took, you know, that, that cup of coffee from the guy. I mean, I'm going to take his TV, you know, and, and suddenly you're just, you know, preyed upon. Like you're reinforcing that behavior. You're like, well, if he could do it, then I could do it too. So you have to like, yeah, not allow yeah. it. Yeah. You need to like confront that. You need that. That cannot stand. You cannot just let somebody just like take something from you and like, you know, were you um, beat up ever? Yeah, I got, I got, I got my escape pretty 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 good when i arrived in youth authority um and yeah because you know i knew that i had to stand up to anybody who you know who challenged me you know once you're at a place for a while you know you you could start to see your way intellectually you know i see this pattern this is not going to end well let me make my if somebody comes in the building and they're just like looking for a fight and you happen to be on the other side of the building from them well that's a good thing yeah. Well, well, you've also learned the contingencies, probably. You're like, okay, so when I'm around someone and they're engaging in X, Y, and Z behavior, or there's these precursors, I'm probably about to get my ass kicked. So this is like, a, or that could be like a, what we call a CMOR, something signaling shit's about to get worse. So it makes uh -huh. like escape or avoidance really valuable in that moment. I'm assuming you kind of learn those things, but like yeah. you, you only learn through experience also, like, right? Like you have to get your ass kicked a few times. Well, no, hopefully not. And that's where, remember um, last uh, podcast, last uh, number 47, I think it was, um, <laughs> that, where I said that, um, uh, what the hell did I say? I said, what the hell? Fuck, now I'm drawing a blank. Oh, oh it's, I probably it's have it in my notes. Point. Hold on. I think I know what you're talking what about. What was it about? I said, when I said, when I said, it's really important to keep your mouth shut and your Keep eyes your mouth yeah. Keep your mouth shut. I wrote it down as our quote of the podcast. Keep your yeah. mouth shut, eyes and ears open, and look for behavior patterns. Keep yourself in the middle of the road. So those behavior patterns, there you go. Yeah, there you go. That's it. Absolutely. So that's what you learn to look for. And you just, you know, you see it earlier and earlier, which sort of makes you a student of human nature, which is a good thing to understand motivations and behaviors resulting therefrom. And so you start to see shit earlier and earlier and earlier. Oh, 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 okay. Oh, all right. So like trauma unaddressed in that person seems to lead to their types of overcompensating and, you know. And you can so generalize it. Yeah, this is like straight up behaviorism. Like you're like, all right, you could generalize it across individuals now. You're like, last time I saw someone get into this, I know what happened. So when I'm in that same antecedent condition, I know what I need to do. Yeah. You learn through consequences, exactly. essentially. Yeah. Observed so, or experienced. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The rule govern. So there's some rule governed behavior, like things that you learn someone telling you like, Hey, Bruce, just letting you know, don't fuck with that guy over there. Like he'll cut your dick off. So that's rule right. governed. Then there's also <laughs> contingency shaped behavior, which is like, you came into contact before you said something to that guy and you got your ass beat. So now, you know, not to do it again. So like, exactly. I'm sure you have both ways of learning through either rule governed behavior or through your own experience, which is contingency shaped. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And like, I, I, I would just point out too, that your, your example was pretty fucking medieval. I mean, nobody ever threatened to cut the pick off. <laughs> And so I think you'd, you'd be oh, like, I'm a crazy biatch. I'm crazy. You'd be, like an over, you'd be like an overlord. You come in and go like, look, in a women's prison, 
any bitches fuck with me, I will cut your dick off. I'll be like, look, I cut my own fucking fingers off. I lost three, motherfucker. Yeah. Um, what happened? Um, you told me, but what happened? I, I told you they they froze off. I got my gallbladder taken out and the doctors didn't read my medical records about my circulatory Raynaud's and they froze off from the operation. Dude. And I even gave up on the fight for that legally. So I was like, I can't fucking live like reliving this over and over. So like, I really admire you for keeping, you know, going yeah. and like, and the fact that I see now, like at least you don't present that you carry this anger with you because for me, it's like, like not. it's a waste, it's a waste. Like, it so is. you've already wasted 26 years of your life. Like why the fuck do you want to carry on wasting any more? Like, like yeah, and, reliving that, right? Sorry that happened to you by the way. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it really is. It's like, so they, they tried to destroy me. So if, if Monty tried to kill me, murder me with the weapon of prison, which he did, cause he wrote to the pro board years later saying I should never get out, never get out, never get out. And so he, he literally, you know, um, why would I want to complete his fucked up job by destroying myself with anger, acrimony, all the things that are just going to make me a bitter you know, shit who nobody wants to hang out with and is going to die young of a heart attack. So like I wasn't. And so, and in a broader sense and in a sort of a bigger view sense, like that's the charge to all of us in existence is like, are you going to take trauma that's happened to every single person? Everybody's had trauma. Everybody. We all have shit. Hashtag EMDR. That shit. Have you done it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, is that tapping? Yes, but like yeah. someone does it for you and you can process it? Yeah, yeah. Did it, yeah, did it help I, you at I, all? I had a therapist, yeah, well, I had a, yeah, I had a therapist um, who volunteered to sort of see me um, on a weekly basis, like if I could pay or not, didn't matter. It's a really amazing human being, Susan Levine. And she did that with me and she's just, fantastic and i have just an amazing group of you know family and friends and and people in my life and, and every time you I'm look just... at your girlfriend you smile so big i love it it's so beautiful can we say mm -hmm. hi to her can yeah. we say hi yeah Come on. you guys can't She's see this over. but we gotta we can well, see take a it. picture and also i noticed this is recording maybe we can put it on youtube hi 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 you're there. so beautiful. No shit, you're looking like that, Bruce. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. You got yourself a good one. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so it's happy that you found love. Yes. Yeah, we did. We were, we were, we were destined. We yeah. were definitely destined. So yeah. it's been an amazing meeting. Yeah. And wow. he's deep. And he's, he's, he's got serious wisdom. That's what he's smart so wise. Oh my God, guys, if you guys could see the way they look at each other, it's so beautiful. So I'm taking a photo and I'll post it. Hold on. Okay, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh my God, he's kissing ah! her. Okay, oh I'm just Oh dying. my God, oh my God, okay. So thank you. <laughs> so nice to meet you. So amazing. Okay, so I have more questions. I'm not done with you yet. I don't um, think she ever will. Honestly, Bruce, we may not ever, we might have like 17 parts. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Um, that's cool. Um, so of, of your like basic human things you need to live. Yeah. Like, you know, I told you those primary reinforcers, like what did you miss the most? Like 
privacy. I mean, yeah. that's not, I mean, like, like, did you like yeah. shitting in private? Like when you got out maybe? Yeah. yeah. Privacy is like huge. So, and it's funny that like the first thing that you said is probably if I, you know, with you given enough consideration, what I would have come out with privacy is, is the value of that can't be overstated because it speaks to us as in terms of like worthiness for that. You know, it's like, you deserve this. I mean, if that's the right word deserve. Um, but we take it so for granted, like when you're out oh, in the world. Oh my God. It, it's, <laughs> it, it's striking when you've been in prison for a long time, when you get left absolutely alone. Like when I was getting out the day that I was getting out, uh, they escorted me up front and, and you're constantly monitored inside always under observation it's like a panopticon like they could always see you almost always and so like they i go up there and they're like oh somebody of friends brought some clothes to wear out and they were like here are their clothes you can go in that bathroom back there in the visiting room wait did you wear the clothes that you came in when you were 17 is that like what they no, had you no. back no, those are no those were taken as evidence and then later destroyed so no this was a friend of mine inside's wife who'd gone and bought some clothes her name is Sherry. His name is Brian. And she brought these clothes for, to me, to the prison for me and dropped them off. And then they searched them. And then the day that I got out, they gave me these clothes and, and they said, go change in that bathroom at the back of the room. And I walk in the bathroom. And, and like, it's, it's just bathroom. you. And it's, it's just you. And like, there's lock the door. I could like lock the door. And I'm like, this is fucking weird. And, and, <laughs> Cause you never get that. You never get real privacy inside. And when you get it, you're just like, <sighs> at first it freaks you out, but now I couldn't do without it. I don't think because, um, it speaks to your, to your worthiness, to your deserving it as a birthright that if you want to be alone, you can be alone. You don't have to have people watching you all the time. I mentioned so like, last th this episode. is huge with like deprivation. Like you were deprived of these things, increasing the value of these things so fucking much. Yeah, totally. Totally. You really learn. You, you, you really learn what matters to you. What's important to you. You, you, you find it difficult to take things for granted after a prison experience. And that fades over time because human nature is, we forget. And we sort of like, you know, whatever our immersive situation is, our current situation, is that becomes a thing for little bits, little by little by little. But by and large, um, I find it pretty easy as a touchstone to remember prison and what it was like and go. No, you need to like not take things for granted. You need to like express gratitude for everything. I mean, I can't imagine the level of that because even me as someone with like these like health conditions, like every day that I wake up healthy and I can move, I'm like, fuck yes. I could take yeah. over the world today. I'm so cool. I'm healthy. Right. Look at me. My, yeah. I still have seven fingers. Look at yeah. someone else who like lost their arms or like, like you just like, and like, I, I can't explain the gratitude I have every day and the passion I have every day for life because of it, which I actually yeah. think, and I'm sure yours is even like way bigger. And, but like, like, I feel like my life has such meaning now. And like, I'm very present for it. Like I realize each thing that I could do, like I could go for a walk outside right now, or I could do this. Yep. And, and I'm like, so with like, with, do you feel like you have a greater gratitude for life than like the average person who just walks along? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I do. And, and I also think this, like, um, I think you said earlier, 
just a few seconds ago was um, you sort of compare the two, like my situation, your situation. So that's, I, I find that people do that almost universally. And they're like, you know, I, there's nothing compared with yours. That's not true. Like we each have- no, I, I right? agree with what you're saying. People like will yeah. be like, so I was really sick with the flu, Leah, but I don't want to talk to you about it because I know what you deal with. Like you're always in the hospital. And I'm like, no, dude, like everyone has their shit. Like what yeah. you realize when you go through shit is that no one gets through life skate like without something. Like if you it's haven't not- gone through it yet, you're going to go through it. And yeah. so like people will be like, I don't want to talk to you about this. Like, I mean, my cat died and I know you're probably like, whatever, Leah, like you've watched your fingers come off or like whatever, you know, like, and I'm like, that's true still. That's real. Like. Yeah, I find that all those words, I mean, well-intentioned though they are, I find them just like sort of, not a way, that's, that's not, but I mean, unnecessary, completely unnecessary. Like, it's just like, you don't need to do that. Like, all of our dynamic range, like your best to your worst is... is it's all relative. All, uh, my best to my worst. I mean, it's our dynamic range. And so, and they don't need to be compared. Um, but yeah, I totally, yeah, it is so easy to not take shit for granted when you tap into what your worst has been and and you know what your depths of sort of you know your your biggest challenges have been so let's talk about stay home orders right now we know there's this thing called the coronavirus or something i think it's called corona or something (laughs) i've heard of it and Uh there's these stay home orders right now i was talking to one of my friends on the phone yesterday and she's like liat so tell me are you like pissed off all these people like complaining that they need to stay home and be quarantined because like you kind of always have to be like this because you have virtually no immune system you know and I was like no I'm not pissed at all like if anything I'm like whatever I'm ready for this like I live my life like I, I I've had to adapt with what I have and so what can you say to someone who's like pissed off what about these people who are like what is it in Michigan right now or oh, yeah. Wisconsin and they're like we're done with this. This is our human right. We want to walk around the streets. You can't take away that we need to stay home. Like, yeah. what Like, what do you think of that? Like, what are your thoughts? Are you like... I think that's ridiculous. I think that's absolutely absurd. It's like, okay, the politicization, politicization of like anything like does a disservice to the actual thing that it is because it's, you know, if when politics get involved, they they just completely bastardize any, you know, thing that they're talking about be it religion be it this be it the it's just bullshit it's a world of bullshit and what <laughs> people are convinced that they were impinging on their right to go out and be free by saying like be safe and it's they're not just putting themselves at risk they're putting people we love and people they love at risk you know the grandparents that they have um you know and it's fucking absurd it's whatever. so that's how that's how i feel i'm like yeah I mean, but also, look, you've been locked up. You're like, dude, you have a TV in your house. You have a treadmill, probably. You have this, like, like you have art supplies. Like, I'm like. It's all relative. It's very relative. Yeah. So I guess, like, it is. Um, yeah. And, but, like, my thing was, like, we're not being called to go to war. Like, we're not being called to, like, go fight someone being asked to stay in our house, which like, yeah. it, it is hard for people. It is hard. Like, you know, it does uh-huh. test your mental being. Like it does. I, I love it though. When people, I, I, when people start describing what their experiences is like being, you know, <laughs> shut in and all that and lockdowns and stay at home orders and stuff. I keep waiting for the P word. I'm like, somebody's going to go. Somebody, it's like being in prison. I'm like, I've heard it. 
No, 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 no. Let me tell you about being in prison. Like, you got a big screen, motherfucker. That's yeah. nothing like being in prison. Like, you got... Absolutely. You got, like... You can walk outside. You can... Okay, let's start with that. Like, like I, I'm even looking behind you, and I'm like, okay, I see you have, like, an armoire or, like, a closet or something, and I'm like, even to have that, like, you would never have that for your shit in prison, right? No. You had, like, metal lockers and, like, concrete. What about and the bed? Dust- what about the bed? Tell me about dust- the bed. A metal, a sheet of metal, like a piece of metal, like that thick. It was welded to the wall and like a mattress, literally like that thick. He's like, showing about two inches, people, by the way. Two, if you two know. quarter. Yeah. And like that fucker was bumpy. And like it's they're the crappiest mattresses in the world. They're the crappiest pillows in the world. They're they're cheap ass mass produced as cheaply as possible. They fed us for two dollars, 45 cents a day. What do you eat? What, what, what food do you eat in prison? I, I want to know that, a lot, too. A lot of potatoes. So one of my jobs was as the prison food manager's clerk. And so I, across my desk, went like, you know, millions of dollars of, you know, orders for, for raw food. So not raw foods in the good way, but like raw, you know, stuff that, that you cook with. Um, and so I saw and, and the guy that I work for told me how much he managed to feed each one of us per day. And it was two dollars, 45 cents. For all three meals? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. What was your favorite prison meal? Um, favorites relative. I didn't <laughs> like, pancakes, but when you're making 1200 times two, 2400 pancakes at once, putting them on sheet racks and putting them in hot carts, condensation, like sweats on the top row and like <laughs> and cardboardy, but I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm genetically predisposed to love pancakes for some reason because I love them anyway. What things are you like have been paired like really negatively that like if you see it now, you're like, fuck that shit. Like, is it like beans? Like there has to be something that you've conditioned to being like highly aversive. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I try not to do that. I try to open to everything on here. I try to I love op- your outlook. I mean, otherwise I continue the cycle. Anytime I recognize an artifact of the, of, you know, the experience that I don't deem positive. I try to examine it and sort of like, you know, push love onto it, smooth love all over it and just kind of like make it better. All right. So obviously you appreciate like the, the little things you have, like a closet that you could put stuff in privately, a toilet, you could shut the door. But what about anything like exciting that you have in your life now? Is there anything that's like super cool? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i have a i i love my car it's it's it consumes way too much of, of my monthly income it's but a ford taurus right a ford taurus it's, it's a ford taurus made by mercedes called affectionately an sl550 so it's a convertible beast that hauls ass and looks cool and i love it and it and it was my dream car when I was inside. I literally had um, a blueprinting um, photo album that I'd cut out pictures of magazines, the things that I wanted to um, have one day. A vision yeah. board. Yep, vision board, exactly. And um, I had this this picture of SL50 in the car, and I just pulled it as a touchstone of where I've been and what I've been through, what I survived, and um, that I never gave up hope. And it's a personal reward. And so that's, that's why. You deserve that. And that's like freedom driving in a convertible. Like, yeah, yeah. Word. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's bomb. It's, it's, there's a lot of enjoyment that we get from 
rolling. How about you guys drive your RV down here to Dallas? I would love to meet you. I'm your biggest fan. That'd be super Aww. cool. No, I, okay. we're like, we're like literally every time you go pee, like every three minutes, we, yeah. um, <laughs> we talk about, we're like, dude, this guy's unreal. Thanks. This guy with a walnut sized bladder. Yeah. This, this guy's bladder sucks. He had to go pee a lot in public in prison. All right. So this, this episode two, it's actually going to go into a three part series. Um, I think this is a good ending point for episode two, you know, talking about appreciation and, you know, a lot about how different things in life are relative um, and appreciation. There's a lot of lessons in this, a lot of behavioral principles, a lot of lessons. Um, we do have some more questions because literally I think my other calling, if I wasn't a behavior bitch, I thought I'd be a hostage negotiator, but I also think I might be a journalist, um, but I don't like to write. I just want to like interview people. So this is like, I can't stop this interview yet. So we're going to go on to a third um, to get some more question answers. We're having, we're so enjoying this. So tune in next week as we are going to go into a few more questions in terms of what it's like getting out. We have some listener questions that people send in ahead of time and just really closing in on all those thoughts that we that you guys want to know we want to know and we're again we're just so appreciative for this so thanks for tuning in you know where to find us instagram at behavior bitches podcast facebook at, at behavior bitches podcast or behaviorbitches.com. leave us a five-star review so we could read your review of the day on our next episodes we love getting those five-star reviews and as always love you mean it Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started he records our shows he posts them he adds awesome awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing he sends us teaser episodes he does it all we just sit here and friggin' talk we shoot the shit and you can record from home your office the park a bathroom stall at work it doesn't matter he provides the complete podcast studio all you need is a microphone and you're good Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need super. him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Today.